We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you today and this week? I am doing really well this week. I have had a great week and I'm not going to dwell on it because I know I'll jinx it out to the universe and I know there's many people listening who are not in the same situation as me because when I previously talked about my situation, I was told by so many how they were in the same situation, but we have... Touchwood, universe, please be kind, turned a bit of a corner in terms of sleep. And I don't think you realize until you're on somewhat the other side of it or somewhat a good stretch, just how much the lack of sleep affects literally everything. I'm still tired. Like I have a lot of sleep to catch back up on and who knows when, you know, the next development or tooth or sickness will happen. But there's just been this lift in terms of fog and my ability to just be and not think about sleep. And so I'm just riding this positive wave while I'm on it, trying not to think too hard about when it may all come crashing down again. But yeah, so just going to be positive and say things are really good. The fog has lifted this week. I feel like I can be a bit creative, be much more present, much more patient and just enjoy things that little bit more. So I'm having a good week. How are you? How lovely. That is so nice to hear and I'm so glad that that is happening for you because you know sleep is something that we all need and from what I've heard we actually never get back the sleep that we lose I when know. we are mums so we're always tired the more kids you have the more <laughs> tired you are I know and I've been trying to say to Nick I'm like you know we've got eight months worth of sleep to catch up on and I remember yeah my brother once read a, a book on sleep and that's not the case but I'm like you know what I don't need to dwell on science no if it makes me feel better to say that I'm catching back up on it than I will. But I will say, and this is not woe is me because I know there's people listening who are still very much in the trenches of sleep deprivation, but your body is so interesting the way it gets used to certain things. So Pearl still wakes up for a feed at around 3am and my body finds it really, really challenging at the moment to go back to sleep after that because it's been so used to functioning on such little sleep that now that I'm getting maybe six-ish hours in a row, my body thinks it's done for the night. And so by the end of the day, I'm absolutely cooked because I've basically been awake since somewhere between three and four in the morning 
but I'm not complaining. It's still all great and my body will soon learn that it is allowed to go back to sleep after that period of time. But how are you? How was camping? You've always got a great story from camping. I I want to hear all about it. I've got some ripper camping stories because we just, I don't know what happens. There's always a story to tell when the Kudwells go camping. It's like the Griswolds, (laughs) but it's like 2020. I was going to say 2024, not yet, Jade, 2023. It was so much fun. We went to the place that we always go to. I don't like saying it because it's so hard to get a booking. And Mm. um, we were able to get the spot that we love. It was just us. I decided this time I was going to pack way less in terms of clothes. I was going to pack way less in terms of food because I knew there's a little cafe there if we needed it. And it was really low pressure. I just also didn't have the mental capacity to overthink and over plan that little three day trip. So, and I think if it's three days, it's not as intense. You don't go, Oh God, I need the kitchen sink. If we're going to go for five, it was just, it was easier. So we did that. And then I kind of realized, well, Jade, you probably didn't pack (laughs) any clothes for you. Really. You didn't think about that. But, um, I ended up having some of my husband's clothing, which ended up being a really funny, series on Instagram about just what I was wearing for that week. And it was really fun to do because something happens when you go camping, you become really, really relaxed and you just don't care about pretty much everything all the things that you usually worry when you're home gets dropped and you just focus on your kids and reading a book and, you know, we're like fixing a light, the tiny little things. So it's just really nice to be out in nature. And to be honest, three days is all I really need to just, you know, (laughs) gather my thoughts and get the hell back. But um, no, it was really, really lovely. That was before school holidays. We couldn't get a booking on school holidays. So we decided that we would do that before that started. It is now day one of school holidays. I've already asked Google if she can clean my house. She tried apparently. And she said, she can't. Also, if you do have a Google or Siri, you can ask them to sing to you and they will sing a song. I want to know out there and you can ask us in our Facebook group, whatever device you have, what have you asked them and what have they replied back with? Because I find it really, really interesting. So this week is going to go strong. Hopefully I came up with a point system that I don't really know what I'm doing, but I've just told the girls if they're really well behaved and they're doing, you know, some really kind things to their sister or picking up after themselves without us having to ask more than twice, then they will get some points. And those points will end up, you know, going into a movie or going out for lunch or it might be a book at the bookstore, whatever it may be, that's what it is. I've kind of gone a little bit rogue in terms of points because people are like, Billy was cleaning the fridge yesterday. She's like, how many points? I'm like, oh a great thing to do so I'll give you 10 but I've really got to just sit down and structure. Like I don't know with a currency conversion what does 10 mean? I need to work out what I'm doing. You while you were away had something that looked like a mum hack. You had asked your children to call you legend instead of mum because you were so sick of hearing the word mum. How did it go and is it a mum hack? It is an absolute mum hack. It's a parenting hack and especially on school holidays. I mean, especially on any day in the morning, especially when you haven't had coffee, but I just get to a point and I have lately where three kids are saying to me, mom, 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 even when it's school time, I think that's really the time where I just have to say to them, girls, please 
No one call me mum for five minutes. But school holidays, mm. something needs to change because they're around you a lot more. So I said on the camping trip, hey, guys, can everyone just refer to me as legend instead of mum for this camping trip? So, like, instead of hey, mum, just say, hey, legend, can I have a drink? It changes everything. I stop, I listen, and I and we all found it hilarious. It was a game. I just think it's something that was really fun for us to do. You don't have to call yourself legend. You could say, I don't know. Dickhead, whatever. Dickhead or loser (laughs) or hey mate or buddy or whatever it is, find it and have a chat with your family, see how it goes because it was really fun for us to do. And um, did you feel like because they were having to think before they said, hey, legend, did it mean they had to think before they asked you something and they asked you less things or did they end up asking you more because they thought it was funny saying, hey, legend? No, it was funny because they would accidentally forget to say legend and then they'd go, mum, 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 and I just wouldn't like answer and then he would go legend and I'll be like oh yeah what's up and oh me like, oh me oh yeah, sorry yeah, I had no yeah, idea sorry. who you're referring to I had no idea so it was really really good we do have a Rudolph fabulous that got sent in by one of our beautiful listeners this is from Chelsea I thought you'd get a kick out of this my four-year-old asked me tonight Will those lines keep cracking? Will you break and die? He was actually talking about the wrinkles around my eyes. Those are the wrinkles mainly from him, both the smile and frown lines. (laughs) That is absolutely rude and absolutely fabulous all the same. But should we say it's rude? Will they just crack and you'll die? (laughs) Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I think if that wrinkle gets any deeper, I may crack and die. Oh, my God, that's crazy. Hey, I've got a low I want to share. Oh, go for it. Yeah. So yesterday I thought I took my medication and I didn't know because usually I put it in like a little Monday, Tuesday, all the way to Sunday case and I didn't refill it and it was a really – it was like afternoon. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I've taken it or not and I can't risk taking it again because you can't double dose – but it was out on a bench at an angle where I thought that must have been today. Not knowing that my husband's gone through that little area from camping and it's, you know, moved 20,000 times. Anyway, so I left it. And then last night in the middle of the night, I had these torturous nightmares and these brain zaps and I I just felt horrendous. And it's when I, I realized I have not taken my medication. So I had to get up down the hallway. I was so dizzy. I felt so sick and I took the medication, came back to sleep, woke up this morning so nauseated and feeling so yucky. And I just, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I know that some people listening may or may not go on antidepressants and there are certain medications that can make you feel so shocking if you do miss a tablet. And the one that I'm on is like a, it's got a really short lifespan. So it's like, I think I've got five to 10 hours. And if I don't take it, I get immediate repercussions. So yeah, it's my, my little advice to say, if you are taking medication, please make sure you have like a little reminder on your phone or you really are onto it because it is just the worst feeling in the world. And I think it's going to take me probably another 24 hours to feeling, you know, back on track. Yeah. It's truly amazing that missing it once can have that kind of effect. And, um, I'm sure last night was scary where you're going, I don't want to take another one. Cause I don't want 
want to take too much, but I also know that if I have missed it, that I'm really going to feel this soon. And so, yeah, I'm sorry that you're going through that. But shall we get into today's episode? We chatted with Ellen Hooper. She is an HR coach and has worked a lot in HR throughout her life. And we chatted all about the different flexible arrangements we can consider when returning to work post-bub mm-hmm. or even if you're not returning, even if you're already in a workplace, it's just some things that you can think about negotiating. We chatted about part-time, job sharing, working from home, all different things that we can consider obviously Jade and I don't work in the kind of corporate (laughs) (laughs) well some of us do no (laughs) no we don't work in kind of the corporate sphere so whenever we have these chats we find it really interesting because it's obviously not any wisdom or knowledge that we can share from our own experiences so we hope that if you're in this situation thinking about how you're going to return to work or you're thinking of starting a family soon that you find this episode really helpful we learned a lot and yeah we hope you enjoy enjoy Hello, Ellen. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell our beautiful listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Hi, thanks so much for having me. My name's Ellen Hooper. I'm an executive coach and I spent a lot of my career working in the people and culture and HR space. Um, I run a leadership and training business called The Growth Collective and I spend a lot of time working with lots of people, but specifically with uh, women who are trying to juggle their career aspirations and the kind of uh, that they want to be. And as I become a parent myself, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I've just become more and more interested in how that whole kind of what's happening at home feeds into what's happening at work and how as parents we can kind of share that load together as well. Well, we are so pumped to have you on today because Sophie and I, as a lot of people know, we made up our own job. We don't know (laughs) what we're doing. We don't know anything else other than we've had kids and we're winging it. She's giving me a pay rise tomorrow. (laughs) I'm getting sacked the next day. Who knows what's happening? But for the people that have, you know, more of a either nine till five job or it's more about corporate or whatever it may be, what are the main challenges that mums face when returning to work? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think I'll kind of go back even before then. I just really remember when um, my husband and I were starting to think about, you know, whether we should have children and when we would have children. I had this real idea in my head that wherever I got to, like from a work perspective or a level perspective before I had a baby was kind of that I would be stuck there. Like I really, truly believed that. And it meant that I was really, really keen to land my first leadership role before we started trying for a family. And I just think that's a dynamic that's living like unconsciously in a lot of people's minds. Since I had my son, who's now seven, you know, I have changed jobs multiple times. You know, I've had promotions. I've started a business. Like there's all kinds of things that have happened in terms of how my career um, has developed. But I do think it's this kind of a narrative that lives around for a lot of us that that having a family is going to mean that we are really limited in where we go next and and what happens with our work. I think the things that lots of parents returning to work, but particularly mums, struggle with is what's the right balance for me? 
how many days a week do I want to work? How do I want to spend time, you know, with my child? What's the way that I want to do that? And I think we kind of really end up with challenges in every dimension of life because I think it's hard to navigate those things in a lot of workplaces. I think though we're not very good or practice and we don't have a lot of role models um, of parenting partnerships that are really good at navigating through those things. We've got a kind of a lot of gender-based assumptions about who will do what and when. And then school and childcare is set up in ways that are completely <laughs> like not at all aligned with how workplaces are set up. So I reckon those are the key challenges. And is there ever actually a balance? Because I think everyone thinks that they're doing something wrong because they're finding it really difficult and because the balance isn't there. Do you think we can get to a balanced place when it comes to juggling home life and work life? Look, I think there's this really interesting thing and I'd much rather instead of talking about this, there's such this kind of 90s, you know, question like can women have it all, Um, which I really honestly find so eye-rolling and I think the more interesting question is like do we want to? I reckon that what is important to you bends and shifts over time and we all have really ingrained ideas about kind of our expectations of who we should be when it comes to work and also when it comes to parenting. And I think a lot of the secret lies into really examining that and really working out what are the things we actually want versus what are the things that we are meant to do or that we should want or be interested in. I think if we can get, you can get really clear about what's actually important to you, then you've got a much better chance of balancing the things that that really matter. Like I just think that we spend a lot of time tidying our houses before people come over or... Sophie doesn't. I love that for you. I do. (laughs) (laughs) And it drives me mad. Not before you, before other people I do, not Jade. That's so interesting. It's in one of the really big things I've worked on. It's one of the expectations for me that I realised like didn't belong to me. It's not something I actually care about. It's something that was really important to my parents. Yeah. And I have been really working hard on thinking, I don't want to not see my friends because our house looks like our children live in it, but I don't want to spend hours making it look like it should before. So this is something I'm going to really work hard on letting go of. And don't you think it's funny that you, when you said like it's from your parents and it is because my mum sort of makes these comments without even noticing that she'll go, oh, well, I obviously know that you had the cleaner this week. And I'll go, well, how did you know that? Even though I spent so much time cleaning the house, she's like, because the stove's clean. And I'm like, oh, and I feel like why do we have to clean and make this pretend space for these people to walk in who love us anyway? Because realistically, that's not how I'm living my life. And the stress to make you clean and have that clean house. Yeah. One, I'm exhausted. Two, it is clean for like the hour that they're there. And I was going to say, you're just going to go cook on that stove one of the three meals of the day. Of course anyway. I am. Yeah. But it's just, it is, there's a lot of this outside pressure that you kind of don't think about until someone like you mentions it. Yeah. It's really interesting to work through those things because the reasons they're so complicated is because there are gendered expectations. So if someone walks into your house uh, and it looks like children live in it, 
I don't want to pretend like there aren't people who would judge you for that. Of course there are. And are they going to think it's your problem or judge you more harshly than they judge your partner? That's very real. Or like if I rock up to a kid's party without a present, I'm like, no one's going to go on Nick forgot to get. And that's something that I do literally. Anyone who knows me knows I'm, I'm really good at the idea of gifts, the actual follow through of getting gifts. I'm not that great on, but I know if I rock up at a kid's party, I know no one's going on oh, Nick forgot to get a present again. Yeah. And I think there's an, there's a choice for us to make, which is, I mean, I really love the um, motto or quote that nothing changes in nothing changes so is that a judgment that matters to me that's linked in with my identity or my values and therefore it's something I'm going to put time and effort into or am I going to put some time and effort into being able to move through the world knowing that it's not the way someone else would have done it and they might think poorly or differently of me is kind of the I think the interesting thing when it comes to that idea of balance like how much stuff are we doing that at the end of the day is really for other people. And also thinking about, do I really care? Like I've come so far and maybe it's because now I've got more on my plate with work that I I actually don't have that mentality to have all those expectations put on me. But I now drive a car that is probably clean one day out of a month. Like I live on a farm, but I used to try and maintain that because I'm like, oh, what if people think that I don't have, people like now walk past the parents during the school pickup are like, Jay, look at the dirt on your car. I'm like, yeah, I live on a farm. Like my mentality's shifted and I've done more work internally, not caring about these insignificant things. And I'm actually spending more time on things that are benefiting my family. Does that make sense? And I think even little things like you know, we've, I think it was Dr. Golly who said this once, like if bathing your children in the evening doesn't work in your routine, you can do it at any other time. Or, you know, we were talking about putting the laundry away and I've just turned two of the storage drawers downstairs into the girls' wardrobes because they're always taking their clothes off downstairs rather than up in their room. And I think sometimes we can get in this way that it's like, this is the way things are done, even though it's not necessarily the most efficient way or, or the best way for us. It's so hard to unpack those things too because they, they do really live in our subconscious and they are a patterns that can be really hard to recognise and the same is really true of work. So we have cultural norms in Australia specifically, which is the normal amount of time to take off work is 12 months, that the normal thing to do when you return to work is work part-time. And those are just two really interesting things, um, I think, for parents and families to look at and really test if it works for them. And I'm such a nerd. I always like to know what, like, why cultural norms have come into place. And that 12 months idea, because we know that when we look across the US, the normal amount of time to take off is three months. Like, there's nothing magic or specific or any kind of rule based reason. In Australia, it's because in the 70s, the Whitlam government introduced unpaid parental leave and they just happened to put through legislation which gave you 52 weeks off. So that's kind of where it started and then it's become normal and now it's a thing that all of your friends and cousins and aunts and sisters do. And so it's a thing that we do too. And in Australia, the kind of typical working family looks like a full-time working dad and a part-time working mum. And when we talk about work and flexibility it's kind of it's a bit counterintuitive but I do like to start with 
are you actually sure that you want to work part-time or is that just kind of what everyone else does? When I had my son, I went back to work full-time. My husband took three months off because for me, I've just personally felt more kind of comfortable and confident with the care you get at childcare. You get good quality hours, like it's none of this nine to three (laughs) bullshit that school has. It's all play-based learning. Like my kids have always really enjoyed um, spending time there and I found that now that my kids are in school, that's when I've started working not kind of traditional full-time hours so I can do, you know, the pickups when I want to. So really thinking through what's important to me and why can be really useful as well and the same is about what's the right kind of child care arrangement for me like we used a mix of a nanny and child care like there's there's family daycares there's grandparents like there's a lot of different options and I think we often kind of get into this kind of binary thinking of there's I have to choose one path and once I'm on that path I then have to like that can never change yeah absolutely Now, we wanted to focus a bit on working in a flexible way. I think post-COVID, this is really thrown around a lot, this idea of flexibility in terms of work. But I want to go into more like, like, what does that even mean and how do you get there? So what are the main ways that you can return to work? Or I guess if you're already working, even if you want to change the way you're working, to be more flexible? There's a range of different kind of things that we think of, particularly putting my HR hat on when we talk about flexible work. So firstly, there's the hours you do and how many you do. Part-time is kind of the classic thing we think about in um, flexible work arrangements. But also having a think about start and end times can be a really useful way to manage. Um, and I'm seeing more and more parents really manage this kind of idea between both of them. I'm seeing a lot. Um, of couples both working four days a week, for example, or couples where one kind of works an earlier, more like hmm. tradies in particular often have this kind of split of they do the like seven till three and the other partner does kind of the nine till five or eight or ten till six or whatever that looks like. I see that a lot at the daycare that my kids go to, that it just happens to be that often it's a tradie dad picking up at the end of the day because they've finished, you know, at three or four and then the mum dropping them off in the morning and starting that bit later. Yeah, so different start and end dates, part-time arrangement, job share I'm seeing more and more and I was had this really great opportunity of job sharing an executive level role last year, which was really, really interesting. And I think job share solves a lot of the problems that part-time work poses which is can you explain what that is yeah of course so job shares when you have two people who are doing the same role but they're splitting the days or time wow and sometimes that's this really even split of two and a half days each it's quite common to kind of both do three days so you've got this overlapping day there's so many ways to do it I think people often when they hear about that they think okay I've got to go and find you know, my my job share soulmate. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels like marriage. Like I have to find, how am I going to find the person who's kind of the same level as me, has the same experience that we get along really well. And I've just seen it work in so many different ways. So 
one of my really good friends has an arrangement where she works four days a week and she she uses it really as like a training opportunity. So she will get one person in her team to act in her senior role. So to to do hmm. the senior job on the Friday and she'll do that for three months and then she'll rotate it to the next person. So the thing, the challenge with part-time is what's going to happen when I'm not there? And so I think a few different things play out. Either you're getting the phone calls and emails anyway, you know, you're on the Blackberry in the playground and it just feels like everyone's yelling at you. And then there's a phone, you know, there's a phone going off all the time. And then that's not even to account for the fact that when you work part-time, someone is paying you 20% less every day that you don't work. So it's really important, you know, if you're not being paid for that time, it's really important to be able to have boundaries around it. Or there's this feeling that I think lots of people who work part-time feel, which is just this job is not set up to be done in two or three days a week. So I just feel like I'm failing at it all the time. Mm. And I, I think that because that, that there's a truth to that, not in that you're failing, but that in there's an expectation there's a certain level of work to be delivered. There's only someone actually there for three out of the five days. So, yeah, the work's obviously not going to be progressing at the same speed or pace. And then you start to get these tensions with colleagues as well, which I think is just so unfortunate for everyone involved. You really threw me at Blackberry, to be honest. <laughs> it was very gossip girl on It you. was. I was like, hang on, where are we? <laughs> That's a blast from my law firm days, the Blackberry. Or your flip phone I'm Samsung. Like, I went straight to an American <laughs> sandpit and I was like, yep, there's the nanny. But you do hear that time and time again with the part-time. I've had so many friends who go, oh, I work three days a week, but on the other two days I do emails during blah, blah, blah's nap time. And I'm like, well, that's not fair. But I get it. And I think in today's day and age, I I think it used to be that an email, it was like, yeah, you expect a response within, mm. you know, three or so days. Now it's like if they haven't heard back from you within an hour, there's a follow-up email. Yeah. And, and you know, most part-time people are committed to their work just like anyone else. So they would say, yeah, if there's a crisis, call me. But we've, we've really lost sense of what that means. Yeah. And that brings up another option of working, which I often talk to people about, which is, if you're working three days, but actually it works for you for whatever reason, because you like to be on top of things, because there is that nap in the middle of the day, you know, because you don't necessarily want to or can't find someone to job share with, then there's a really good option to say, I'm in the office three days a week, but actually the time that you should pay me for is a 70% rather than a 60%. Like let's take into account the fact mm that I'm realistically keeping things moving in those other days. So let's have income that reflects that. You're letting go of some, I think, boundaries in entering into an arrangement like that. But if that's how you're actually working, that's how you're happy to work, you might as well have a good quality salary negotiation that goes with that as well. I just didn't know you could have these conversations and actually think like that when you have a boss, because I guess when you're, you know, under somebody else, you kind of think whatever is the way to go is the way to go. But when you start saying, well, you know what, I actually am making a big impact in this company. I actually want to tell you how I roll so I can still be here. And if you're valued, you should be able to have that conversation. Yeah, all organisations are different and some value or are much more interested in this kind of idea of consistency that can sometimes, uh, I think, be an obstacle to when you're trying to negotiate something that's quite unique or specific to you. 
But at the end of the day, you know, you get paid. It's an exchange of value. You get paid mm. to do work that I assume whoever's listening to this is talented and adds a lot of value doing for. And I think my biggest tip is that everything is a negotiation and it's a conversation that's worth having. Where I say people go wrong, or I guess my top tips are, do you try to think about it from your bosses or leaders or the business's perspective, right? You know, the kind of requests that say, oh, you know, I need this arrangement because I can't get childcare until next year. Totally valid. Like that's very accurate and true. But you're much more likely to be influential by saying, I've had to think about what the business needs from me. I would rather not, you know, extend my leave by three months because I can see we need to get X, Y done and I really want to step back into that. Here's an arrangement that I think would work for what you guys need and then would work for me as well. And the other really important thing to do, I think, is spend some time thinking about, okay, well, knowing what I do about my boss and so much of this stuff comes down to personal preference. Some leaders just want to, like, see you at your desk because that's how they think that they can check (laughs) the work's being done. Some people, you know, really like to be kept up to date with communication a lot. Some people are like, don't bother me unless, you know, something's burning. I'm the don't bother me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bother Sophie. Don't expect a house. Think about it from their perspective. You know, you know this person, you've worked with them before, What do you think they're likely to be worried about? And I think that also bosses are really nervous about actually telling you what they're worried about because they don't want to like step into discrimination territory. They don't want to be seen to be doing the wrong thing. So it's almost better to say upfront, I know that a worry could be X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to overcome this by... Absolutely. The other thing that's really powerful is say, Let's do this for three months and see how it goes. Mm. So setting in, you know, review periods that you suggest rather than than waiting for them. I love that. But in place can be really useful because who doesn't have the chance to have a gamble on something for a short period of time? And I found in practice, like, often then no one will ever really mention it again and five years yeah. later you'll still be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having two days a week. Having that full time now, kidding. <laughs> yeah, that really works for you. So, yeah, always, always being ready to negotiate. And is there any kind of legal threshold or anything of flexibility that a workplace has to give you? Oh, yes, so interesting. And I um, spent my first five years as a lawyer, and I like to refer to myself as a referred lawyer. Wow, you have so many hats. I know. <laughs> So as a reformed lawyer, I'm not insured to really tell you about any of these things, but my understanding. (laughs) I read a book once and it said. (laughs) Back in 2009 when I had a Blackberry. um, Yeah. Well said. (laughs) There's definitely a right to request flexible work and that rights for kind of different categories of people, but parents of school-aged children. I use the word as parents really deliberately because we know from a lot of research that dads are much more likely to have their flexible work requests denied, which is really bullshit actually. And it kind of gets us into a spiral of, you know, this idea that then women do need to take more of that caring because um, workplaces are less likely uh, to support dads, which I am seeing changing slowly, but it's just really important. Like that is a real thing that's still happening. That's still happening all of the time. 
So parents of school-aged children have a right to request flexible work. Definitely do it in writing if you want to do that and definitely, you know, specifically say this is a request for flexible work under the Fair Work Act in here or here in Australia. Businesses have 21 days to respond to that. They need to respond to you in writing. Basically, it's um, they can reject your request if there's reasonable business grounds for them to do that. But you do want to see that your employer is actually explaining why this can't work for them. And that can be really useful because if they've given you the reasons and it gives you an opportunity to say, oh, well, this challenge you've got here about me not being able to attend the team meeting, you know, what if I change that day from a Tuesday to a Wednesday? Or yeah. Now that I know what your concerns are, how could we get around them? And back to job sharing for a minute, because I don't feel like it's something that's spoken about a lot. If you're like, what kind of industries do you find that it's best for? I've heard it a bit in teaching. I think my auntie used to job share um, as a teacher, but what other roles do you see it work well in? Apart from a politician, I can't really think of an industry where I don't think it's possible. I have seen it work in professional services, like I've seen lawyers do it, I've seen accountants do it, I've seen management consultants do it. I mean, retail is the OG job sharing, right? Because you rock up for a shift and you leave and then someone else rocks up. Yeah. In those more kind of knowledge-based roles, the important thing to solve for is how we're going to share information between ourselves. And um, some job sharing partners I spoke to who were um, lawyers in a government agency said they felt like they had a really good day when their clients couldn't remember which one of them they'd spoken to. So I think that most industries can make it work. You've just got to get over that kind of how we're going to communicate, how we're going to share information. And in terms of actually coming up with the arrangement, do you find that it's generally two people who are already, say, in the company and they find one another or do you kind of just go to your manager or go to your boss and then they hire someone else to fill the other days or how does it normally work? I've seen it work a few ways. So the first thing is if you're wanting to return to work and you're wanting to return to work part-time, lots of people do find that really tricky. Just a few tips for that while we're on it. There are recruitment firms that specialise in flexible work placements they're really worth talking to um, Tiffany from Flex Group is one of them the other thing you can do is you can work through your networks and you can actually and you know the mum network's a pretty powerful network mm. if you can find someone else that also wants to return to work part-time I've seen people apply for jobs like on the market as job share arrangements and my tips oh, wow. are write a cover letter together that talks through Here's what we both bring. This is why we're a super unicorn. When you've got two of us, you'll never find this in another single human being. And this is how we'd make it work. And then you both provide your own CVs. That's becoming increasingly common in the public sector. If you're already in a role, so you were working full-time, you want to go back part-time and you're looking for someone to job share with, I would be scanning to see if there was anyone else on parental leave kind of around the same time as you or anyone else with who's already working part-time or anyone else who might want to work part-time to make that work. But then I would also be looking at kind of what does the level below you look like because 
they they can work full time, but they might want to step into a role just one or two days a week. And what an awesome opportunity to grow your skills and career. Like mostly when we're looking for promotions, the big obstacle we has is is convincing someone that we can do that job the next level up. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, it's a really great opportunity. And when I have previously specifically hired people when I've been an executive on the basis that they would step into the executive role one day a week. Mm. So I've had a role that's vacant in the team. I put out the job ad and said, we're looking for this person, you know, and we're looking for them to step into the um, acting executive role one day a week. And we've actually managed to get really good quality talent doing that. Someone particularly who worked in my team, you know, he had multiple job offers and he chose us not necessarily because it was the most money, but because he had this opportunity to grow, really bridge the gap between where he was in his career and where he wanted to go. And you've, you've spoken a lot about a lot of pros with job sharing. What are some of the cons with job sharing? Yeah, I think that it's really, it's like any work relationship, you know, you do need to work on it. It probably feels a little bit like a business partnership, actually. And and I have a business partnership in the Growth Collective. And so it feels a lot like that too. You know, you do have to put time and effort into what's the other person's philosophy? What's important to, to them? How do they want to be updated? Like communication between the two of you is quite important. And while I don't think you kind of have to be this perfect forever marriage quality mix, I think you do want to feel like, yeah, this is someone I can communicate with really effectively. The other feedback we um, got when we were job sharing a leadership role was that our team felt like they kind of had to jump through two hurdles to get work uh, through us. You know, my perspective on that was, at some point, everything you do in a corporate organization has to go up to an executive team of eight. So better for us to kind of knock out all the challenges here rather than kind of at that next level. But because it's not common, there's definitely work to do with your team members. How is this going to work? Who's going to do the performance reviews? You know, who's going to have the one-on-one catch-ups? Just being that little bit extra clear than you would be if there was just one person doing the role. And do you find it's generally best to pick kind of two similar people or to get people that have quite different strengths and weaknesses? It's an interesting idea because the kind of complementary skill set says go for people with diverse skills and strengths. But what we know about human behaviour is says the thing about you that you do differently from me while it gets us to a better solution is probably really going to piss me off. (laughs) Yeah. So I I think you want to try to... You laughed way too hard. And you said, yeah, really, really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about this later. (laughs) We need a meeting. And it's so interesting (laughs) because I've become so um, interested in this and have the experience of it myself. And um, one of the things I do now as a coach is I work with job share partners or business partners on their personality profiles and we really like get clear about the things that are going to be really useful but are also going to annoy you and what's the strategies we have to manage. Well, we, I think, because obviously I don't want to talk about what we do because it's different to a lot of, you know, other jobs out there, but when it does come to communication and job sharing, I feel like that does relate to us because as 
a business, we had to work out what our strengths were, both of us. And then we had to divide and conquer because we both have three children. We both have very full on lives and we wanted this to work the best way we could. So we did, we sat down and we worked out a really good balance. And usually when, you know, we don't expect it to go smoothly all the time because kids and life, but usually when one of us has like a lot going on or they're too overwhelmed, the other one will pick up on that and then vice versa it will happen to the other person so in a sense I just absolutely love having a partner even though she drives me mad uh no she doesn't really but like it is, I think, a really great opportunity for people out there to have that opportunity of job sharing with someone because it also forms a, a different bond and isn't it interesting because I think that's what we're looking for in parenting partnerships now as well Yes. We're looking for the, okay, what what are you good at? What am I good at? How do we divide this fairly? But also if you've had a really rough time, you know, how do I pick up the slack for you and vice versa and how do we talk about those things? The other thing that's quite interesting with flex work and part-time work in general is, you know, when we think about careers in the scheme of probably the 40 to 60 years that we'll all be working for, it probably is quite a short period of time in the scheme of things that you want to have flexible working arrangements. So I think that's the other thing to think about. And I see this when I work with people in their careers in general, we either go, well, the thing that I want to do is just so much, it's just so far away from where I am now. Like it's, it's impossible. I couldn't possibly do that. So we don't take any steps or you know, I can really, I can, I can't imagine my life looking anything other than it does right now. So, that like where I'm looking or the possibilities I'm considering are actually really quite narrow. And that's the other thing with the job share partnership is like, give it a go. If it really sucks, you can move. You can go back to whatever that is, four days full time. You can move to a different, you know, job. You can like rework that arrangement. Sometimes I think we think we're going to be stuck in things forever. And I do see that with women with young kids have this sense of, I'm not really enjoying my job. It's not challenging or interesting. My boss is an asshole. Like whatever it is that the flexible work isn't what I wanted. But I have this part-time prize, you know, that I'm just never going to get anywhere else. And I really encourage people to to test that out because the world's constantly changing and I don't think it's the holy grail that it used to be. I think there are lots of opportunities that are available and why should we work in jobs that we don't like for five or ten years? I do think that the the flexibility thing is almost becoming this, uh, as you say, like people are so grateful for it to be flexible that then they put up with so much else. And I think the pandemic really shifted that. So the pandemic really shifted where you work from, how you work. And yeah, if you're stuck in a job that's not really doing what it should for you, then it is really worth exploring other options. And there's something so important as well, which is so much of life and so much of spending time with little people, I think, is about energy management. (laughs) And when we 
I've talked to a lot of people who have, you know, toddlers and big jobs, which is I spend so much of time at home dealing with like these big emotions that then when adults in my workplaces also can't manage themselves, like I'm just like, I don't have time for this. Too much. And I think there's something about, you know, what kind of parents do we want to be? And if work's just a constant grind and if work's got constant stresses, it's really hard to be the type of parents that we want to be. And those, you know, poor cultures, leaders and bosses who don't have very good skills or just aren't very good fit for you and what you need, those things don't tend to magically change. Unless you communicate and then once you've communicated, if that still hasn't changed, then you need to change something yeah. else. Yeah, I think it's just important for us to know that we add value to workplaces mm. and that there are lots of options and opportunities uh, out there that are absolutely worth exploring. Now, one area of flexible working we haven't touched on yet is working from home. Do you have any tips for navigating working from home when you have a baby or children at home with you too? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting concept because having worked kind of on the employer side of that, I think that is something that it's one of the kind of key things that you do worry about as an employer, not just because, you know, employers are obviously interested in productivity and mm. and the profit that's attached to that. So it's easy to kind of go, all oh, these scrooges and just like want to make sure they're getting like every, you know, ounce of work out of you. But during the pandemic when we were homeschooling, which was a horrific experience, I had a newborn and then the, to- and then the toddler at home and then the husband at home. And it's ruined cooking for me because now I used to really enjoy cooking and now I'm still got a bit of post-traumatic stress about making like snacks 7,000 times a day. Yeah. But we actually saw the increase of child incidences and injuries massively spike during that time. And my advice, both from kind of putting my HR hat on, but also having had a chance to work with a little person running around who wants and needs you. Yeah. My personal view is I just don't think it's very fun for anyone and very enjoyable. I think work from home is really good to cut down on that commute to make it much easier to pick up and drop off. Or maybe there's another carer in the house, like a babysitter, a grandparent, another parent, you know, especially in those early days, it can be a really good way to continue doing things like breastfeeding for as long as you want to. But my personal advice and Hopefully it's not too controversial, but when you're working, I think you want to be available to be present and switched into work. And when you're with your kids, I think you want to be doing that and kind of keeping them safe as well. And I do think it's one particular red flag for employers. I think if employers think that, that the reason you're working from home is this split focus between the work that you're doing for them and that they're paying you for and this other responsibility that you have, I think you can see bosses and employees like kind of then swing in the opposite direction. And it's funny, we've all kind of got this little stake in, in this work from home idea and making sure that, you know, it's so built on trust working from home. And we're kind of all trying to contribute to making sure that 
you know, there's so much research about it now. There's so much lived in experience that people can be really productive, really engaged employees, whether they're sitting next to you in the office or whether they're at their house. And I think there's a big tension if we're trying to also like be the primary care of children. Well, just imagine having a best friend next to you working at an office and like you don't get much work done then because you're just always laughing and having stuff. And then you've got a little best friend at home, plus you actually have to like help them with a lot of things all the time. It does, no matter what, take a lot out of you to focus on something else. Whenever I look back on a day and I feel like my kids have really acted out or just, you know, haven't listened, I think about the things I was trying to do around them and it's always and this isn't to shame like I I, childcare is so expensive all of that like I get why people want to do it but it is really challenging in both respects and can leave you feeling like you haven't really done either particularly well yeah and then let's have a think about some kind of solutions or ways of working that are going to really work for you like If you are kind of in the stage of your life where you want to be able to contribute and do some work when you do have those productive times and maybe that's because there's a bully marathon or maybe that's because there's a nap or maybe that's because, you know, a grandparent can be available for a period of time, there may be a casual work arrangement where you can just log the hours that you've done or a freelancing or a contracting arrangement. Like maybe that works a lot better for you at this stage in time then kind of making, you know, these big commitments to permanent work or specific days of the week as well. People are and companies are realising that there has to be more flexibility than a nine to five job and that people are going to have children and they're going to want to make it work. So they can't just expect us to either be at the office or be at home. There is actually, we're really trying to like rough up the feathers and make something work for everybody. I think there's, you know, there's extremes of, there are of course organisations that still say, this is how we work and the way we work is that we expect you to be here from nine to five. But legally, can they, if you've had a baby? Look, you've got that right to request flexibility, but there are plenty of workplaces that would say that their requirements are to have people in the office and there's probably some good reasons for that. Yeah. Then you've got the other spectrum of workplaces that are fully remote, you know, across the globe. Mm. I think what we're seeing now, which is different from the pandemic, but the new normal is that the vast majority of organisations do what we kind of call hybrid, which is we expect you to come in sometimes, maybe we'll be specific, Mm about, you know, the big banks have kind of gone to this three-day-a-week-in-the-office concept or some people are a little bit more vague about it, but we expect you to come in sometimes. There are real benefits of seeing each other in person, collaborating together, working on specific things together, doing training and brainstorming and those kind of things together, but we also expect you'll spend some time working from home. I think that's a real new normal of workplaces. It, I think as we move into 2023 versus 2021, 2022, I think there are less and less places that are fully remote. I think that's becoming, you know, harder or less likely to get access to, particularly for a long period of time. I think there are workplaces that go, I see you have returned from work or particularly with dad, which I think is awesome. You know, we know that you've got a newborn at home. We're really happy for you to work predominantly remotely. 
but probably not forever. Do you have any tips for couples where one works at home and one doesn't? I hear it a lot with friends who work from home and their partner doesn't work from home. And there's this like expectation that because they're home, you know, dinner gets cooked and the laundry still gets done and and, and this gets done and that. Like how can we, how can we still make this fair? Yeah, that's a really live um, conversation in my house at the moment. So my husband and I are both self-employed, but I work from home and there's just something about kind of always being at home, you know, mm. I'm closest to school and someone yeah. vomited or I think that is a little bit tricky because we look at those things in the, you know, that kind of micro, which is you get the phone for all from call from school and you do the man's mad scramble that I think everyone's really accustomed to, which is like, what are you working on? What am I working on? What are we going to do? And that all makes absolute sense and kind of seems fair when you look at the single incident. But then when you zoom out and go, hey, if we times this by five throughout the year, this is becoming a 100% me problem. Yeah. (laughs) What are we going to do or how are we going to manage that? And I do find we have a very, we have a table on the fridge of drop-offs and pickups and that's evenly split. But I do find there'll be time when I've allocated that's not my drop-off day hmm. because I'm here trying to hide from my children and, you know, they will be busting in saying, where's my Elsa costume and I want to cuddle and daddy won't let me have Cheerios. You hmm. know? Are you at my house? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds exactly the same. It, it is a really tricky thing, this kind of space and how do we use space and I've just been thinking about how do I structure my days that maybe like maybe I'm not physically there during those periods of time. Actually, the other day I went and worked for the library for an hour so that I could do what I needed to do yeah. while I knew that there would be that running around happening. I think it's a bit tricky because for us it's not actually about a lack of understanding between me and my husband. It's more how do you tell a three-year-old that I'm not here. You can see me, but I'm not here. But yeah. I get, I have a, a, like a studio out the back and even then I'm like, oh, that's, you know, further enough away from the house so they won't come. And you just wait, like there's little tiptoes and if they're. Oh, they'll sniff you out. They just, the, <laughs> they open that door and they're like, mum, mum. And I, you can say as much as you want, like go, go, go got it work, I got it. They just come in, swizzle a chair around, <laughs> flick a book off a shelf, and you're like, you have the whole house. Why do you have to be here? I'm not that exciting. Look, things we've tried, I haven't got any silver bullets yet. If any of your listeners have any tips, please share them with me. For my six-year-old who can read now, we have a sign that he and I made together, and one says, I'm in a meeting now. Can't wait to see you when I'm finished. So oh, that's nice. Positive psychology. It finishes in 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you in seven days. Um, and yeah. that one says come in any time. So oh, we've done a bit of playing around with that, which is pretty successful with him. You could put that in front of your bedroom door if you wanted to have a fun time. Just say <laughs> having a meeting will be out in two minutes. <laughs> 33 seconds. <laughs> I heard it, um, oh gosh, I can't remember who it was. It's someone famous, uh, but they said their parents used to tell them they were wrapping Christmas presents like 15 <laughs> times a year. <laughs> like, that is so good. That would give my kids more intention to open the door. When it comes to this, you know, why haven't you done the dishes? However, that's whether that's, you know, communicated to you in a really loving way or or not, 
that kind of comes back to this idea of something that I think is really helpful, which is are we really clear about how the unpaid work in this house oh, yeah. is divided? And not to be kind of too um, nerdy and data about it, but there's this really interesting research that before a couple have kids, they both do 15 hours of housework a week. And then after they have their first child, the man still does 15 hours of housework. The woman, this is all averages, obviously, the woman's doing 30 hours of childcare, so replaced paid work with childcare, but then he's doing an extra 15 hours of housework. So that's a lot of hours. It's so much, but we just basically what happens is all of the extra stuff Mm. that comes with babies it just gets pushed, we know statistically, onto women, which doesn't make sense because all we've done in that family is we've subbed out her work for childhood. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's, I don't. I mean, you said you like data, so I don't know if you've come across it. Do you find that there's any difference in the amount of housework that a stay-at-home mum does? Obviously, a stay-at-home mum is doing all the caring as well but in terms of actual housework between a stay-at-home mum and a working mum because I wonder if in a working mum partnership if the partner has to step up more or if they work as well as doing all the housework does that question make sense it does and I don't have that particular data what I do have which I think is really interesting is that single women with kids do less housework they're married women with kids. Wow. So take, statistically, taking an adult out of your household <laughs> reduces your housework. And I, I think that's so interesting because that tells us more than anything what's happening in households yeah. in Australia. Wow. Isn't that concerning? It really is. Yeah. And, look, I've got a few tips for that because I think yeah, about Please do. And I'm doing a project on this at the moment, so I'm like really, really deep into interviewing people and into the data. But the first thing is Dr. Robin Miller, who's an expert in the mental load, has a PhD in the mental load. She has this really useful idea of divide tasks, don't delegate them. So I'm sure you guys will have heard this from having talked to heaps of people about this, but if I'm the manager of the house and therefore my job is to tell you, the husband, like here's this tiny little task, don't forget to buy Band-Aids, pick up the milk, you know, then there's a lot of work in that. So if you can kind of be clear about like in our whole household, all laundry is my husband's, like I don't go anywhere. Yes, you nailed that one. Yeah. And then our kids put their own washing away as well. Is another, like So you can bring lots of different people into this outsource model. And then with Cooking, we have three nights a week each. So, and I found that what that means is Monday to Wednesday, I think about what's in the fridge, what do we need? You know, I get that grocery order delivered, I make that food, I do those lunch boxes, and then for half of the week, I don't think about it at all. Mm, that's great. So, like where you can divide things instead of kind of being like, this all lives in my head and I must remember to ask you. And then that's where I think we find this really unused helpful language about um, dad's helping and so I really like we talk to our kids about we all contribute to the household this idea that I'm in charge and you're doing me a favor (laughs) by helping me with this so that's really useful 
The other thing that's useful when you divide things up is to really agree on what's the appropriate standard. So if I go, you're in charge of the dentist now and immunizations, you know, like let's have a conversation about well, how many times do the kids go to the dentist a year? Is it two, twice a year? Is it once a year? Like what's the standard? Once if that, yep. <laughs> just let it go, right? And I do often see women go, I'm going to ask for help, which firstly, it's not help. It's just an adult being an adult in their household. Mm, mm. But then when I do ask for that help, you know, the laundry's never done on time and the kids never have the school uniforms they need. Like it's not done to the right standard and therefore like I can't, I just can't. Yeah, it's think. not working. It's not working. I've just got to take it back. And they have to try. They can't just be lazy on the washing so they get out of not having that job. Yes, because there's a term for that which is called learned helplessness. Ooh. So when we have these dynamics of I'm the one in charge, I give you instructions, when you can't do it because, you know, you just can't quite be capable, I'll rescue you from it. I, that, I think that's how we kind of see these patterns play out and out again. So I have this thing like at home and I've come a long way from being a control freak with pretty much everything. And I think it was when I was a stay at home mum and my husband, you know, he'd, he'd work out of the house that I took the role of everything, everything. And he provided the income. And now that it's slowly shifted, I even, and I know it sounds so little, but even like when I would come home and he's wiped the bench really like fucking bad, you know, the man wipe, it's like, and there's still crumbs there and you're like, why? You were so close. I now just walk in and it doesn't phase me at all because it's like, you know what? He did his best and that's not that's not annoying me. What would annoy me if I gave him the laundry job? Because that to me is something that I want in a certain structure and a way. And if it's not the way that I like it with that, I'm like, it's just not worth it. So that I actually don't mind. But then school things, all school forms and all school, anything to do with school that comes in is all on him because I have enough screen time with work emails and Zoom meetings that I just can't, well, I dropped the ball on that. So he's now taking over signing forms. He knows when the the excursions are. I don't know any of that. And it kind of made me feel a bit unsettled at some stage because I was like, oh, I'm so used to knowing everything everything about this whole family and how it's structured, but we really have conquered and divided or divide and conquered. And now we are making this really balanced life of whatever he's doing, he's doing good enough. And same with me. And I think you do have to hand over the whole task so that not not in terms of a blame game, so that then when something doesn't happen, someone's accountable yeah. for it. Like no one learns to get something done unless they realise that when it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. Whereas I feel like if you're both semi doing a job and it doesn't get done, well, well who forgot it? If And if you're picking up the pieces, they're never going to realise that they didn't actually do the thing that they were meant to do. Yeah, and that comes back down to when you go, oh, well, I'll just do it, then they're never, ever going to feel confident within themselves to think that you believe that they're good enough doing that job. We're actually working hard at shifting cultural norms. And so I actually think that being a dad right now who wants to be really engaged in parenting who's willing to make some work-based sacrifice and work in like not this kind of traditional full-time, the only contribution they 
feel they can make to the house is providing income. Mm. I, that's pretty like that's we're at a generational tipping point of that. We I think we're at kind of a it's not that it never existed before, but the 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 kind of norm growing normalness of that is I think a generational first. And I reckon being a dad like that right now probably feels like what it was to be a working mum in the 90s. Yeah. Like, it's not that you're the only person who does that, but there's this, we do have this sense of like, well, that's a bit weird. <laughs> and there's something interesting, like as we move through those, like those cultural shifts, there's this real tension about, yes, let's reward and celebrate that because yeah. it is stepping outside of the norm and it is doing something that's brave and different. And then that's balanced again, this thing that I sometimes talk to my husband about, which is, I know that you are like dad level amazing, but like you are a mum normal. Like, <laughs> You're a two out of ten. <laughs> You're like just a regular mediocre mum. And, you know, what's the standard that we're measuring against? And that must be, I think, a really hard experience for men at the moment who are like, I look around, you know, my husband works um, as a barrister, so he does a lot of court work. There are not a lot of other dads who are saying, I've got to go now because I'm picking up from childcare and, you know, there's not many other dads who are like, I'm taking three months off to be with my newborn. Like he must feel like he is like a male champion of change. (laughs) And then, you know, you kind of have this other perspective of like, this is, um, pretty standard like if we you know I remember going to the midwife with my second baby and I mentioned that Matt had taken three months off and she just spent the rest of the appointment being like that is so amazing that's so amazing and I was like I took off nine months like yeah yeah but it is that hard balance because because I do honestly think he's an absolutely incredible dad and I love parenting alongside him and it's not like I'm so cynical that I don't think that that should be applauded because of course you don't get progress without celebrating the change it's just is sometimes funny to sit in it and go oh my gosh the things that maybe I get judged for that then in turn he gets celebrated for I mean the terminology itself working mum no one says working dad no one says hands-on mum you're just a mum yet he's a hands-on dad and um yeah it's just I guess as you say we are in such an interesting time that we that we're somewhat in the change and so there's always going to be things that kind of take a while to catch up and I think the important part is we are 100% still live in a world of double standards. You know, there's so much progress that's been made with equality when we look over the last 10, 20, 100 years, of course, but it's not a time to be complacent. Like we still are very much judged by different standards, have different levels of expectations. And I do think the you know, when you want to share your parenting in a really equal way, I think the community that surrounds you and how they talk to you about that and what they think about that, like it actually takes quite a bit of conviction to go, no, this this works for our family and we're going to kind of keep trucking along like this because it's definitely not the norm. And I think there's something really useful to being like, okay, we actually need to put a little protective bubble around 
ourselves and feel really strong and confident in what is working for us because yet those comments are like they are freewheeling. (laughs) (laughs) They are everywhere. There's something really interesting I just wanted to pick up on about home mums because um and this idea about well someone's contributing financially and therefore the person who's um not, you know, it's sensible or obvious that they will then take responsibility for like everything else in the house. And there's really interesting research that's just come out of New Zealand, which is the financial equivalent of what a stay-at-home parent does is around 270000 New Zealand dollars worth of value. What, per year? Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I don't doubt that, but wow. So it is worth kind of putting into the mix. Like we are both contributing significantly and actually this contrib- this unpaid executive contribution that one person is making is actually really the foundation of the other person being able to bring in income. Mm. And back I think in like the late 1800s when we were kind of thinking about not me personally, obviously, but when white men were thinking about like, <laughs> like you look great. Yeah. You sure? <laughs> Drop your skincare regime. Getting great. Um, so, you know, we made this decision that this kind of idea of gross domestic product, which is this like boring way that we describe how the economics of the country is working, you know, like a bunch of white men decided not to include unpaid labour into that. And that's like a big part of how we think about what's valuable and what's not. That's why I'm still petitioning for super to be paid by the government for any stay-at-home parent. And look, yeah, that's it's serious and it's funny, but it's serious. Well, to end on a really depressing note, because I'm what you'd love for your listeners. Yeah, go tell us. But our our generation of mums who you know, gave up their identity and earning capacity to raise us are now at the biggest risk of homelessness oh, no. in any group in Australia. And a lot of that is because it's statistically likely to be divorce and they've just had these years and years and years of having no superannuation. So kind of as a society we're like, you know, yeah. oh, being a mum's the hardest job in the world and, like, it's so rewarding and... But, you know, we're not putting our money where our mouth is when it comes to the contribution that women make to our society. Absolutely not. Well, can we try and end on a high? Because that's real depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you got to come up with a high now. You've got to end this episode on a high. Pull out some data from somewhere and tell us. Happy data. We need some happy data. (laughs) I do have some happy data. I have a happy data that the number of men taking parental leave has doubled in the last. Good. Well, that is good. Yeah. In the last how many years? Ten years. Yeah. Which is really fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. We have learnt so much about the many different ways that you can return to work. And yeah, we hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.